I also always ask who's involved. Are there enough inclusion in this? Are there enough opportunities for other smaller creators, for other women of color, people of color to be part of this campaign, be part of this job? Because I find like I benefit a lot from this diversity thing because I'm a I'm an Asian plus size woman. Like I am, I am the diversity, and I and I don't want to feel like like that. That's the only reason why people want me in a campaign, or that's the only reason why I'm there. Because it's it's easy to just be like, oh yeah, we'll add you in because like you want to look diverse or because it's diverse. But actually, how inclusive are you being? I'm Alison Rice, and welcome to Offline, the podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in 2018. It started as a podcast, and thanks to your ongoing support, it's turned into a bit of a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are, our true self, and how to live, create, and succeed from that place. If you need help making contact with your unique purpose, or maybe you're ready for a conscious career change and need some advice, I encourage you to explore my online learning opportunities at getoffline.co forward slash study. You can also follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me, I'm Alison Larson Rice. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. I have a huge amount of respect for my next guest. I admire the way she holds herself online but also the value systems she succeeds around. For example, have you ever wondered how the more conscious influencers choose projects and the vetting process they go through when deciding whether or not to work with a brand? I have, and I think my next guest is a guiding light. Jess Molina is a New Zealand-based fashion and lifestyle influencer, storyteller, And she's also the founder of Loudly Quietly, a community platform that celebrates what it means to live a life. There's so much goodness in this episode, and to think it was her first time on a podcast is kind of crazy. In our hour together, Jess opened up about how she's personally cultivated an authentic online presence and, for lack of a better descriptor, personal brand. She also shared openly and honestly about the moment she was able to see the Jess in her mind reflected back at her in the mirror. She talks about financially supporting her family and the guilt that can come with spending on herself. She gives advice to people who want to write but are struggling to find their voice. Transparency around gifting on Instagram, which I think is often unspoken but really interesting how she's navigated pricing herself for influencer projects, moving beyond diversity and inclusion as an initiative and into an ethos, reclaiming the word fat, and her advice to anyone who is struggling to develop a loving relationship with their body. 
In a reality where influencing has become a very viable career path, Jess is the example of the type of influencer we should all be following and celebrating. Here is the wonderful and wise Jess Molina and I for Offline. Okay, so after our slight technical difficulties, yes, we're here. It's funny, it's like you'd think after 75, 80 episodes I'd have this down pat, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't give you any advice. It's oh, so funny. So well, though. But we're here now. Um, I want to thank you very sincerely for joining me. Um, I was saying before we started recording that I'm a really big fan of your work, but also the way you hold yourself online. And I think you set a really phenomenal example for many of us. So yeah, I want to say thanks. Thank you. That really means a lot. And, you know, I always say that I try and bring my whole self to whatever I do. So whether it's in real life or on Instagram or, or when I'm writing or blogging, it's always just me as I am. Yeah, so that, that really means a lot that that actually comes across online as well. <laughs> it really does. And I think this is interesting for us to explore because a lot of um, beautiful, young, ambitious creatives who want to get into content and influencing, I get a lot of questions about strategy and authenticity. And I have a really hard time pinning those two things together because I'm like, can you actually be authentic and bring to your point, your true self online, if it's strategic. And so I often say like, forget the rules, forget what you should be doing, how many times you should be posting. And you've just got to start speaking from your heart and being you, but on Instagram, instead of being too crafted, what do you think about that? That's exactly it. So I probably, I, I could, you know, I get this question about once a week, people asking you, I want to start a blog or I want to start being an Instagram influencer. Like how, how do I get started? What do I do? And I always like, before I even like give advice or anything, I always ask them why they want to do it. And most often than not, the answer is I want to inspire people. And when I get the answer, I, I automatically feel like that's a red flag. It's like, okay, well, if you're only purpose is to exist because you want to inspire people, you're going to burn out really quickly like it's a really good thought to be like, oh, I want to inspire people through my story. I want to inspire them to, you know, create the life of their dreams or to do to do good in the world. But if you're if you're constantly putting that that um, inspiration as your number one purpose, then you're I, I genuinely feel like you're going to burn out really quickly because when you're always trying to think of content that would inspire, content that would make a difference, then you're sometimes not staying true to yourself because you're just thinking about other people. Whereas you, you know, you might start creating content that you actually don't like, or you're not passionate about, but you think that's what's going to inspire people. Whereas I think the most inspiring thing you can do to begin with is to be yourself, is to follow your joy, is to talk about the things that actually inspire you to talk about the things that you've gone through to talk about your story and just talk about it without that pressure of, wanting to inspire people. Mm. I, I could not agree with you more. There's always more of a resonance when I share off the cuff about something that yeah. I'm experiencing, exploring, learning, 
than if I try and promote something, if that makes sense, where I've got some strategy wrapped around it. And it's always the ones where I just wake up and feel like saying something. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just, I just had a light bulb moment just that, because that's exactly how I feel about creating, how I feel about all this. It's just, yeah, when I feel like I want to talk about something, that's when it really resonates. Not when I'm strategizing or when I'm scheduling, like, oh, like maybe this week I'll talk about like writing or something that I've gone through. But it's just like, when it, I think that's because when you speak from the heart, when you speak from like your very core, your very truth, then there is nothing more authentic than that because you can't fake that. You can't fake that feeling of being inspired. You can't fake that feeling of needing to tell a story because every part of your being is telling you that this needs to come out. And when you're doing that without agenda, without, without purpose, just for the, just for the entire purpose of telling it, of saying it because you have to, because there's this innate feeling inside you that this, I just need to let it out. Then that's what resonates the most. That's the juice. You got it in one, I reckon. Like that's actually really hard to explain and you've done such a beautiful job. It's like it can't stay in. That's the feeling. That is, I think, that yes, the most beautiful content is when it can't exist inside you anymore. It has to be. But we have to have a really um, deep relationship with self, I think, to be able to hear those internal cues because if we're too in our head, and we're too strategic and we're looking at what everyone else is doing, we're actually not listening to that inner call to say something. No. Yeah. I agree. Because you start you start th- relating to that external thing instead of trusting what's inside you, trusting your gut. And often when you're, you know, oh, this is trending, everyone's talking about this, I might as well try and jump on the bandwagon and get those views for myself. Like I feel like you don't really have anything original to say because it doesn't necessarily like resonate with, within you and you're just doing it because everyone else is doing it. Mm-hmm. Low frequency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, following that, I actually want to go back a little bit with you to um, not the beginning, the beginning, but, you moved with your family um, from the Philippines to New Zealand when you were 18 or a couple of days shy of your 18th birthday, I read. Um, yes. <laughs> I actually read your Marl interview. I thought it was really beautiful. Um, Thank you. I read in that that you said you saw that as a fresh start and an opportunity to be who you really wanted to be. And so I wondered who was that girl before the Jess we know today? Oh, funny, funny question. I love that because I, I've always felt like when I moved here, that's when I moved to New Zealand, that's the kind of period in my life where I actually started feeling like myself. So in the Philippines, I grew up in a very different background. So we were a middle-class family. I went to a really good school and almost everyone in my school were from upper-class family. So it was like I always tell my friends, it was exactly like Gossip Girl, how you would imagine their schooling, the school, the pressures of education in the Philippines. They have very, very high standards, especially in the school I went to, and just the wealth and opulence and everything I was surrounded with. So I, because I came from a middle-class family, I also was plus-sized, but I loved fashion. And in the Philippines, it was really, really hard to find clothes that actually fit me that were affordable that were suited to my style so I would you know I would see 
I would follow a lot of fashion magazines. I followed it growing up and I would see like trends. I would see things that I like, design and aesthetics that I love, but I could never find pieces that could actually like let that style be my style. So there was nothing. It was very, very hard to find things that would fit, that would feel like something that's me. Sorry, you can't see my hand gestures, but I'm trying to do a quotation mark, (laughs) me. (laughs) So that was quite, you know, a thing that really frustrated me because I loved fashion, but it never felt like it loved me back. Mm. So when I moved to New Zealand, yeah, I, I moved here two days before my 18th birthday. And then I started making friends and then we started what started like this process of turning into like the who I am now was that we started getting into clubbing, but not like the binge drinking clubbing, but more like let's get dressed up and go dancing. So like I would, I'm not a big drinker. So even though like throughout I was eight, I was probably like clubbing from 18 to about 22 and we would be out Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Exhausting. (laughs) I know. And I managed to maintain straight A's throughout my university degree. I couldn't believe, I don't know how I did it, but it happened. (laughs) But it was because I I had a lot of energy because I wasn't drinking. I was there for the fashion. I was there for, hey, look, for the first time in my life, I'm finding places where I can actually get clothes that fit me, that suit my style. I was working part-time, so I had that a little bit of disposable income where I can, you know, spend on clothes and spend on things I love I started discovering because my my best friend Steve is really into thrift shopping mm-hmm. and yeah so I started discovering like oh wow this is actually a really cool cool way to come up with looks and ideas and so that was when I and I, I've always like loved that goth looks so I I have been on Tumblr since I was probably 15. So I that was like the aesthetic back in those days. <laughs> it's like that pastel goth. <laughs> and I was like, I need black lipstick. So I started wearing black lipstick and really, really dark lipstick. And that kind of became my signature like look. Like everywhere I went, every time I'm out, I'm wearing, I'm always wearing some interesting lipstick, like some color that no one would ever really pick up. And so that kind of was like that moment in my life where I felt like, wow, like I'm exploring all these versions of myself. I dyed my hair in different pastel colors. And then, yeah, and I started wearing like, I was always in Dr. Muddins. I was always in Creepers. I was always in like leather and lace. I was just trying all these different things. And that's kind of how I grew into this like self that I have now. That's when I gained confidence and where I started actually really appreciating my body because look, like I can actually feel good in it with the right clothes. I can feel good in it when I'm dancing. I can feel good in it when I'm out with my friends. I can feel good about myself when I've put on like my lipstick. It felt like war paint, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm going to put my lipstick and I'm ready to go. So this is the interesting thing, isn't it? Because I think in some circles, fashion can have a really bad reputation as this kind of one dimensional, you know, capitalist thing. I understand that. But through the lens that you're talking about it, it's like you weren't able to make contact with the truth of who you are because you couldn't see yourself. And yeah. so like fashion allowed you to actually see the per- the version of you you had in your mind. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's exactly it. I think this is when I moved here, this was when I started feeling like, 
the girl I had in my head was the girl I'm seeing in the mirror. Mm-hmm. That exactly that feeling. It's like, wow, like this is who I knew I could be all along. And there she was in my reality. Yeah, like this is a very real conversation about accessibility. Yeah. You know, but I guess so when, where, where you grew up, it wasn't on anyone's radar to be catering to sizes that didn't suit what I'm assuming was. It was a very petite population. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like I felt like a lot of the options were very much tailored to that. And because I, I feel in the Philippines, they have a very different standard of beauty. So that's where we, well, that's where the market is, is that certain looks, certain types, it's a certain size, it's a certain skin color. So there was never, I didn't feel like there were any options to kind of go against that, that standard. Mm. That's what made it hard. So I could find like t-shirts and maybe like jeans, but there wasn't really, you know, a dress that would, that would feel really absolutely amazing in. Do you ever think about what would have happened if your family didn't move? Yeah, sometimes I do. And I think about who I, who I'd be if that happened. But then at the same time, it's also, there's something, kind of, I don't know if I can explain this well, but at the same time, I feel like this is always where I've been like meant to be. Mm. So I've always felt like, oh yeah, like this is the right place, the right um, environment for me to grow, environment for me to to explore and to get to this ideal, well, ideal self I had in my head. Mm. And that's why when people, you know, when people ask me where I'm from, I grew up in the Philippines, but I felt like I really feel like New Zealand is home because it's where I grew up in that sense, where I grew up to, well, I grew where I grew into myself. So. Mm. You have the, this beautiful, your um, accent, such a beautiful blend of both. Oh, <laughs> it was very, very strongly American when I first moved here. Yeah. And now it's a little, yeah. Now the Kiwi is there. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, I want to talk about your family unit. Um, you're a very tight family yes. unit. You recently opened up on Instagram about the financial responsibility that you've happily taken on up until very recently. Can you, um, for anyone who doesn't follow you and didn't see it or does follow you and missed it, can you share with us um, what you were referring to when you put those Instagram stories up? And I think what was so interesting was you didn't see it as a really big deal, but a lot of other people did and I will just say very quickly there was a lot of resonance for me because um I've played the same sort of role actually and it's just not something I've ever spoken about because it's just normal yeah 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 and that's the thing is I actually like I haven't talked about it publicly and yeah I think for it was when I posted on Instagram and on Twitter that I accidentally like I so I how this came about was I accidentally posted it on my public Twitter instead of my private one for just close friends. Like I've got oh. a Twitter. For, there's like 10 people in this private Twitter. And so I started getting like replies. And I was like, why, how are all these people seeing it? And it's because I logged into the wrong account. So, <laughs> so I was like not fully ready to talk about it, but then it was kind of there. And I started getting messages from people who, who also have done the same thing or who saw that and it resonated with them. And that's the thing that I've found when I've talked about it with a few close friends, 
is that so many people are actually doing the same and it's just not talked about. So, so what I've been doing is I've just been like moving to a new country is obviously a very, very risky thing to do, especially when you're taking a family of five with you. So what I, yeah, so I've just helped out with all the bills and the loans and the debt to get here. So just been paying that off. And that was kind of like a responsibility that I never really thought I'd take. But again, it was the right thing to do. And I didn't see it as a big deal because when you're helping out your loved ones, when you're helping out your family, it's just a very natural thing to want the best for them. And I just saw it as something that I had to do for now. And I approach it in a way that I know this isn't going to last forever. I know that this would probably be, you know, this is a challenge and this would probably stop me from doing a lot of things I want to do for the time being. But once I get through this, I would have helped out a lot. I would have, you know, done a really good thing. And also I think part of that is in the Philippines, we have such a culture of looking after your family. And so it's actually just another part of the culture. So it's often that you'll hear you'll hear stories of once, because I'm the eldest child, so once an eldest child graduates from university and has a job and you know they, they start taking on that financial responsibility for the family. So that's a very common thing. Yeah. But not here, not in that kind of more westernized. Yeah, definitely not here. And so the, the people that I've talked to who are also doing the same thing are people actually not just from the Philippines, but my friend from Samoa, she's talking about how actually she's had the same responsibility and she's just never talked about it before. And when I opened that up, like I actually got a fair bit of re- replies from people who said, this resonates because I'm doing this too. And no one really talks about this because no one, you know, it's on Instagram. No one talks about money. No one's comfortable talking about the struggles. So my best friend, Simon, a couple of years ago, he actually was the one who encouraged me. He was like, you should talk about that because it's, it's obviously a big part of your life, but also like the way you're doing it and you're still able to enjoy your life and still able to, you know, achieve amazing things and not let that, you know, make you receiptful or bitter. Like that's quite, that's quite a story. That's quite a, a different take on just, you know, taking on a responsibility and feeling like it's such a heavy thing to carry. Like it's heavy, but at the same time, it's not the, it shouldn't be the reason why you can't enjoy your life. Do you think, I don't know, maybe what comes up for me is a little bit of shame. I'm not going to say there's heaps of shame there for me, but there's definitely a sense of I kept that pretty close or I have kept that pretty close to my heart and chest because, I don't know, there's still that icky feeling of like we weren't very well to do and a lot of the people I socialise with and engage with now have had really um, privileged upbringings and come from quite affluent families. And so I guess I just haven't brought that part of me to every table because I feel like, you know, I'm that girl from the West who grew up in social housing and all that stuff. Do you have any remnants of shame or does it not come through that way at all? I think sometimes it does, but not just, I think more than shame for me, it's guilt. 
it's guilt that when I talked about it, it's guilt that actually like I have saved up for things that are a bit more expensive or like designer. Like I've got a good taste for, for designer and things that are really well made. So I've learned how to save up for it. And sometimes, you know, it appears on my Instagram if I have a certain object or a thing. And then there, when I opened up about it, there's just that guilt of like, wow, like if maybe people would think if I didn't like, you know, showcase a certain lifestyle, if I didn't have like designer makeup or whatever, then I would have like paid it off more or, you know, I wouldn't be in debt for some reason. Like, you know, that kind of like, just mm-hmm. that guilt of having yeah. nice things when you're paying off debt or when you're not well to do. That's more the feeling rather than, than that feeling of shame, I guess. But it's also like, I feel like on Instagram and who we follow, there's also this, this certain like level of like indulgence and opulence and people who grew up wealthy or who are come from privilege. And that's just, you know, a normal part of their lifestyle. And more people are trying to aspire to that lifestyle as well. So for me, it's like, I've, I've liked the finer things in life, but I've never like tried and pretended that I'm made of money or that I've, you know, been born into these things i i'm very much a i worked very hard for everything i have kind of person same and if i want to indulge in the chanel lipstick do you know what i mean like that's a real celebration of my success yeah and that i i deserve it i deserve it i i can both things can exist i can still you know help out with the family bills i can help out with the family loan but I can also, you know, look after myself and indulge in the things that would make me happy every mm-hmm. once in a while. Well, let's just say to all of the people listening who are also playing a role financially supporting their families, we see you <laughs> and buy yourself a little treat. Because... Buy yourself a little treat, yes. And, <laughs> yeah. and also, like, it's, it is like when you process it as a wow, I've paid off like this. I paid off my student loan all by myself and that was about 45K. Then I paid off the family debt like a month later. And so that kind of feeling of like, wow, like I've done that all by myself. I don't think that has completely sunk in. Mm. But what has sunk in for me and what I'm most proud of rather than paying for that is that I did all that without compromising my own values and my own happiness. Like I wasn't waiting for it to be over for me to be like, hi, I'm happy now. Like I can do good things. I can enjoy my life. But it's actually like just taking that as a part of life and being able to move past that hurdle and still be able to say, hey, look, it's not a bad life. It's mm-hmm. it's a challenge, but there's good things happening and I'm not going to let this stop me from chasing my passions from, you know, chasing my dreams and doing what I love doing. Well, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Freedom. Um, Freedom. I want to talk a little bit about um, writing and creativity. You first started blogging, which when you were 12, which is like 12. (laughs) So (laughs) young. I just don't even know if I knew even what sort of, yeah, I had to say at that time, when you reflect, um, on that, do you feel like you, like, and as somebody who makes a living telling stories, do you feel like you've always had something to say? I do in a way where I've always, so when I, 
when I first started blogging, it's so funny, right? Because it's like, who would give their 12-year-old an access to internet? But we were still, it was like, I remember that because I was dial-up internet. And I was quite active in like online forums with like fellow like teenage girls. And we would just like chat. Like that's kind of like my happy place. It was like the Instagram of my time. And then Friendster came along and then Multiply. I don't know if it was big in Australia. Never Multiply, heard of that. Oh, Multiply is this, it's amazing. It's kind of like Facebook and Blogspot and uh, Yahoo Messenger all in one. So you can chat to friends, you can have a blog, so you can personalize your own site. And it was amazing because that was, I feel like, when it started. So I found this little, you know, I signed up to an account and I was adding all, it was, and my audience were just mostly, you know, my friends, my classmates, people I went to school with. But it's just like what you did back then. It's just like you all have a multiply account and you just post whatever you want. And then there was like a journal section. So that's actually how it started. Like I didn't even know that it was a, it was supposed to be called a blog. I just thought of it as an online journal. And when I learned that it was, you know, this is a blog, it's a new thing. And my parents were calling it like B-log. They're like, what's a B-log? <laughs> like, it's a blog. It's mine. And that feeling of having this space just for your thoughts for the first time like on the internet I think that's what stuck with me when I first started it's like yeah I've had things to say but it's mostly like I've always just treated it as a personal journal so when I'm having a bad day I'm like venting in there when I'm having a great day it's all in there so it's mostly like I saw it as a diary but one that's online and easier for me to type because I'm like a fast typer rather than like write it all pen to paper. Mm. So I've always just approached it that way. And when I, yeah, so even now I try and do that with what I do on social media. It's still like, it's still like, here's my place for the internet just for myself. It's just my little corner. I can say what I want to say. I can be who I want to be. I can, you know, talk about, my joys talk about my pain I can write how I'm feeling I can connect with others so it's just that that very much like that's my I guess you call that my strategy it's just like this is just a place for you to put all your shit (laughs) sorry am I allowed to swear yes I mean fuck yes you can (laughs) Um, you've been you can tell you've been writing for a really long time you are a really really exquisite writer I love reading you honestly and I guess I wondered what advice you might have for not even young writers just people who want to start writing what advice would you have to sort of find your voice and we've spoken about it a little bit in terms of just remaining authentic but I think a lot of people struggle with what to say and how to say it and that they read it and it doesn't sound like them yeah and I think that stems from like a lot of us when we were kids, you know, when, you know, when you get a new notebook and you don't want to write on it because you don't want yeah. to ruin it. <laughs> your That's all of my organized life notebooks. I'm like too nice. <laughs> Such nice paper. Yeah. And I feel like that's where it starts. That's where the fear of creating or writing or talking comes from because you don't want to ruin this perfect canvas this perfect whether that canvas is you know this image of yourself that's you know you've got a perfect life or whatever or it's just this yeah this blank space and for me is what I'd always try and get people to do is to just think about their writing as something that is just for yourself 
So don't write with an audience in mind. Just write, just imagine it's just you reading this and then just like let it out. And I always say like, you can always edit later. It's easier to just let your thoughts out and just be unfiltered because number one, that's a really good way to clear your head. And sometimes when you're writing that way, when you're free writing, you'll find bits of it that you're actually like, oh, actually, yeah, this is a really good sentence or this is a good thought to explore. I'll explore that more. So for me, it's just to write with that, that like reckless abandon, just write for yourself. Just no pressure. Just don't even think about who's going to see it yet. Just like write. Mm, that is such good advice. <laughs> and try and try and um, maximize like the environment that you feel most comfortable in because I think that's also part of it like I I write the best at night when it's dark and when I've got music on so work to like the right to the conditions that you feel really good in not necessarily where you feel productive in but like where you feel great in so I write most of the things from my bed like I'm doing this podcast right now from my bed and I've got a little um like a desk um, tray those serving trays that I've turned into a laptop desk for so I can write when I'm in bed amazing yeah so find that place <laughs> I think that's really good advice because we have that tendency to feel like we have to wake up and like if you read anything about like famous writers there was a lot of rigor around their writing schedule and so yes. you have this idea in your head that you must sit down and turn off the internet and lock yourself in a room from you know, a lot of writers say they write from like 4am, 5am up until midday and then not again. And I'm the same yeah. as you, like nothing good is coming out before about 4pm. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> like some of the best stuff I've ever written is just, you know, coming through me at 3am yeah. at midnight. Yeah. And that's also because, yeah, like some people are early risers and they feel bitter in the morning and they write bitter in the morning and that's fine. Mm. Also, another advice, actually, I don't know where I read this from, but I read it a couple of years ago, but sometimes it's easier if you're not, in, like if writing doesn't come naturally to you, is to just record yourself talking mm. and like put it on Google, like Google Notes, where it actually automatically types what you're writing and just like let your thoughts out on your phone and it will just like write itself and you can just review it later. Like that's when the editing comes through. Because Sometimes more people are like, oh, like I can say it better than writing then write it. So say it to your phone, let it d- dictate and it will write itself. That's a good tip. I'm going to try that myself yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Um, I want to talk about transparency in the influencer space. Um, I've really admired the way that you've navigated sponsored and gifted content and experiences. I feel like sometimes, um, when I get sent things, um, there is this kind of icky feeling because I know there's an underlying expectation that I'll post and it's a very privileged problem to have. Um, but more and more, I guess I'm questioning unboxings and gifting, like, does that really serve our audiences? How do you feel about that? Or are you, because you're so clear with using like ad gifted or add gifted experience what do you think about that and maybe perhaps what's been the feedback from your audience because I've like got beautiful stuff upstairs even that I just haven't shared because I'm like I don't just want to be like look at what I got today yeah Yeah. and that 
I think that's a very common sentiment because I, I feel that myself. I've always been very, because I've been blogging for a very long time and I've seen the industry change, I've always been very, very into the whole disclosure thing and being really clear when something is sent, when is because even though something is gifted, I feel like you're right. There is that expectation to post it, even though a gift kind of means like no expectation, right? Mm. But it's, yeah, it's the changes in the New Zealand Advertising Standards Authority. They put some guidelines out. I think a couple of months ago, they've kind of changed the rules a bit to make sure that there is that transparency. And so that was quite a good news for me because I really like the fact that, you know, we can now be required to actually disclose that this was gifted or that this was an ad. I've always before, before that was in place, I've always put it in the copy. So I always I would always say instead of like ad gift, I would say, hey, this was sent to me by blah 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 mm. at blah blah. So that's something I've always felt strongly about. And so I started doing a thing called ad break. And it's so nice because I see so many people doing it now. And I'm like, yes, yeah, like, this is the way to go. This is the future. And because right like We've always been told that if you're on Instagram or you're an influencer, you're a brand or that if you've got a business, you're, you're a brand. So if we're treating Instagram as how we would like magazines or TV ads, you, you'd, you'd, have, you'd have ad breaks. It will be cl- very clearly see when it's a commercial. You'd very clearly see on a magazine, oh, this is an ad. This page is an ad. So why can't we have that on Instagram? So doing ad breaks for me was a way to actually make that transparent but also gives my audience like an option to skip it so they know what to expect because that feeling of unboxing like I I agree with you like I used to back in a couple of years ago I used to you know like doing that especially when the PR parcel is nice Mm. you'd like to show like oh look they've made an effort but now especially with the pandemic and with how you know so many people lost jobs so many people are struggling I, I just feel like it's I try not to do unboxings and not to do too many of those, like look at what I got seen because I'm trying to be really sensitive about the fact that so many people are going without, so many people are struggling and so many people are on Instagram and they're probably, you know, want to escape from life or whatever. But seeing that would still create that pressure. Mm. It would still create that. Also, I think sometimes especially when you've got a lot of unboxing, it creates that, it perpetuates that culture of want, of want, want, want. It's like, this is new. This is something you should want. This is something you should desire. Mm-hmm. So being really careful with that and being really transparent that, hey, look, an ad break is coming. Skip if you don't, if this is not your content. And also even maybe going as further and say only, you know, if you are in the market for, say, a new lipstick, like this is a good thing to try, but not specifically say, hey, you, like you need this lipstick in your life. Mm-hmm. I do wonder, like, what do you think will happen with PR and gifting? Because I think I'm sort of sensing, especially here in Sydney during this year, a lot of brands and PRs are really thinking deeply about the relevancy of gifting as well. And the reasons why they gift, like there's this assumption that there will be some sort of conversion happen when you share, which is actually a lot rarer than what people think. And if there is clients that want to engage with offline or me personally, that are their objective is conversion, I'm like, I am not your gal. I am not the one who is going to turn into like 50 sales. 
yeah. you know, I might get a handful of people who, you know, reply to me and want to know a little bit more about it sort of thing. But I do wonder if like, will gifting kind of eventually move away from conversion and into just sort of more of a, what would be a magazine ad, like an environment buy. And essentially they are buying you because they're buying your Instagram real estate. estate. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's like, it is ad space, right? When you, when you see it on a slide, when you see it on the grid, I think the way things are shifting and I've realized this recently is instead of just like unboxing or gifting, I think the way it's going to change is that we're more into gifted experiences so with the pandemic, it's obviously harder to actually plan events now. It's harder to get people in the room because, you know, at, at any moment you could be like, oh, like this will get canceled because there's been a community transition or transmission, sorry. So people are trying to f- figure out ways of actually navigating that. So instead of events now, I'm finding that I'm, I'm getting a lot of invites to go into store and to just like experience the store rather than experience an event where everything's laid out for you. And instead of goodie bags now, it's just like, you can, you know, we'll give you a gifted item of your choosing from your store experience. So I think that's the way it's changing. It's not just like, here's how many products we can give to a person, but actually what kind of experience can we give them and how will they take their audience with them through that experience? That's so nice. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, yeah, because I've, I've like recently so lucky. I've gone into three different like gifted store experiences, and it's just like a nice kind of way to not just show people like what's going on in store, but to actually, you know, only select what you're actually into instead of just like opening a package and actually, oh, I'm probably not going to use that. But actually, look, here's the things that are highlights from the store. Here are the things that actually resonated with me that might resonate with you. Yes. Yeah. And there's also this, I think, expectation of when you're in store, you, you're you're wanting service, right? Because that's the only difference why you would buy from online or from an actual store is because you want that experience. So get going into a store and actually talking to the staff members, talking to people with really great product knowledge is so much better to me than reading a PR release and looking at an unboxing but it's actually hey like look I've worked in the store for 16 years these are my favorite products this is what I've loved about it and having that connection is much more meaningful Mm. and think yeah and think that's a more sustainable way of doing the gifting thing as well so like this is incredible for any PRs or brands or marketing teams listening because I guess what comes up for me when you share that is you know fundamentally we're storytellers and so why not give us an opportunity to tell your brand's story and to yeah experience yeah. the brand in a way where we can kind of reinterpret what we're seeing through our own lens and words. And I think that's really powerful. Like you should be working in, we probably are doing strategy for brands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's because I've got a P I've actually got a PR background. So I studied that at university. I have a comms degree. Yeah. Just like we rarely talk about our salary publicly, influencers rarely discuss their rates, and I think rightly so. But from experience, it's an absolute jungle out there. So I wanted to learn how Jess has navigated pricing herself for different projects. For both of us as writers, it's really clear what our word or our per story rate is. But when it comes to quote-unquote influencing, it's way more complex. 
following size used to be the core metric, but more and more we're pricing based on the quality of our communities and our audiences, and then also the engagement we receive. You may or may not find it interesting to know that a save is now worth a lot more than a like. And I think I approach it the same way as you because it's essentially like this is how much I'm worth, right? That's is that kind of feeling of like, oh, I don't want to undercharge, but I also don't know how to charge for my services. And it took me a long time to even get to this point where I'm comfortable giving my rates because for for the longest time, I just think I just didn't think like that I had something valuable to offer, that I had something actually important to say or that the brands would actually work with me or that my work my work is worth this much because it's something like especially when you know when they ask me to hey we'll do a we'll do a grid post of like I don't know like a candle display or something so when I'm like just arranging it it's just something that I do for fun and it becomes very hard to quantify that and to be like oh but like I'm just enjoying myself like what do you mean like you want to pay me for this (laughs) (laughs) And so that feeling was something I I had to overcome to get really comfortable. So now I'm definitely more comfortable with my rates and pricing myself. But another thing that I've realized recently is that when I partner with a brand and I, I don't, I still don't know how to specifically like say this in terms of my rates, but when I partner with a brand and when I take on sponsored content, I am subliminally and subconsciously also backing this brand's diversity and their values because I'm yes. so, so vocal about my values and how I only want to work with people that are inclusive with brands that are actually, you know, doing things, doing the work, doing the work to be an inclusive brand. So when I say that I'm working with this brand, my audience would then feel like, you know, I've done the vetting process. I've done the whole check. Are they ethical? Are they, you know, are they actually like hiring women of color are they inclusive are they working with other influences of color so there is that that side to it as well mm-hmm. so it's this not just big. like you're not just yeah you're not just getting my audience and getting my ad space but you're actually getting my backing you're getting me saying yes like I am valuing what you stand for as a company and I stand behind you so there's that that side of it as well that I don't think people really realize do you say no to a lot more than what people would expect? Yes. I say a lot of, yeah. Like I, because I'm also like all about embracing my plus size body and embracing who I am. Like I actually get quite a lot of um like tea brands or like detox tea and even like those like gummy. Really? Yeah. So I'm getting like gummy teas. Like, I, yeah. Or like like treats that are like for slimming or whatever. But I'm like, that's not what I'm about. <laughs> Do you follow me? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't want to, you know. I I'm not on to, that. Yeah. yeah. And I say no to a bunch of things that I wouldn't personally use. And I always try and offer like another alternative, say, hey, this is not, not for me, but this person has done something similar in the past. Or I think, you know, this would suit them or they might like this product better. Yeah, because that's a real waste. service. I hate waste. Like, I don't want things just sitting here, like, not being used. I'd rather someone else have it and someone have that opportunity more than me. Yeah, no, this is um, it's a really good conversation for us to be having on record because I feel like 
we're having it in private a lot of the time with each other, but we're not actually talking about it publicly. And for people who, you know, I always say like the fact that people choose to follow us, what a fucking privilege. And like, how do we, yeah, it's still beyond me that, you know, and I think the moment you start to take that for granted is when you're in a little bit of trouble. But I will say like, oftentimes I'm thinking, is my integrity getting in the way of me actually building a business? Because I see a lot of the jobs I turn down, which is like 98% of what comes my way because I'm the same as you by accepting this, it's actually giving it my approval. And then have I gone too far not doing things to now start doing things? (laughs) It's like, I can get very in my head about it. And then I guess much probably the same as you is we're trained creators and writers and producers. And I would much prefer to monetize my expertise yes, than rely on creating a brand out of my name um, and relying on kind of doing those branded jobs. But it's different for everyone. You know what I mean? And I, yeah. So I respect anyone who's making a living either way. And it's hard work, man. It's like people actually don't realize how much work it takes. Like, you know, one sponsored post, you'll need to do the creative concept. Often like when, especially when you're dealing with clients, like I've got a wine partnership at the moment and that's something that actually needs thought and planning because there are a lot of things I can't do a lot of things I can't actually depict in the photo. Lots of like things I actually can't say. So that's a lot of planning of actually, how can I make this authentic to myself and how do I make this something that the brand would actually find value in because that's another thing that's really big for me when I say yes to the brands and when I say no to something it's actually can I add value to their business can I actually add something to what they're trying to achieve am I actually the right person to do that because often like I don't think people realize when someone what the way I see gifting and sponsorship is when someone like approaches you and they want to see you the product or they want to take you to a trip or you know give you an in-store experience is they're actually investing in me so they're actually mm-hmm. saying hey look we think we love what you're about we think you're worth it at the cost of our business we're gonna you know invest in you or give you this product and that's like to me that's really valuable and that's a big thing I, I don't care if you know it's a big brand or a, or a small business but the fact that you're giving me something also means that it's coming at a cost to you so I want to make sure that what we're doing, it's a partnership. It's not just me benefiting, not just you benefiting, but it's actually, actually helps both of us. Mm-hmm. And this is a big thing. I'm so glad you raised that. Um, there's a level of transparency that we need to reach. Like some of my advice that I give is um, if somebody approaches you to do an influencer style job, one of your first questions back should be, you know, first of all, always thank you for considering me. I always just think that's like, not many people say that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Can I ask what your objectives are? And if they can't define their objectives, then I'd be worried about taking that job because there's going to be an element of disappointment or failure insinuated in no conversion or not enough likes or, you know, we want people to bookmark this or save this and they didn't, but I might produce different content that would be more of a bookmark experience than what I would if I was trying to like get people to buy something. So I always say that, like be really empowered to go back and ask those harder questions of like, what is your objective? It can sound really kind of businessy in a way, but we have to be 
strategic about it. Like, can I fulfill on your objective or not? Yeah, exactly. That's always my question. I also always ask who's involved. Like, are they are there enough inclusion in this? Are there enough opportunities for other smaller creators, for other women of color, people of color to be part of this campaign, be part of this job? Because mm-hmm. I find like I benefit a lot from this diversity thing because I'm a I'm an Asian plus size woman. Like I am I am the diversity and I and I don't want to feel like 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 that. That's the only reason why people want me in a campaign or that's the only reason why I'm there. Because mm-hmm. it's it's easy to just be like, oh yeah, we'll add you in because like we want to look diverse or because it's diverse. But actually how inclusive are you being? Yeah. So that's always a really big question for me. Is mm-hmm. that well it's actually one of the questions I had for you was um like if you're looking at a fashion brand or a beauty brand, what does diversity and inclusion need to look like for you to believe they're getting it right? I think so. Be, so there's two layers to this. There's how it looks like on their marketing or on their feed. So are there enough, you know, is it representative of, of the world around me? Like when I'm walking down a street and I see the people I interact with, the people that are walking past me, everyone comes in all different shapes, sizes, colors, and, you know, bodies. So am I seeing that on the feed? And how how much is that? Like, I, I don't think I've ever, like, quantified saying, like, oh, I need, like, three photos in every, like, six in a grid. But it's just more like, I think, I don't know how to explain this. Like, is this an always-on yeah, it's just an yeah. always on thing that you notice that you just notice. Oh yeah, okay, like you're scrolling through a feed, and you're like oh yeah, people look like me. That's the kind of thing I, I don't necessarily measure it on, but because I also find that it's easy for brands to be to appear diverse. Mm-hmm. To actually, hey, look, this is how many. This is our Instagram feed. Look, it's so diverse. Like there's so many different skin colors. <coughs> Sorry, <coughs> I don't know. Why I'm, oh my god, that's okay. Are you choking? <laughs> I just shot on my hand. <laughs> don't, don't choke on my podcast. I'll never forgive myself. <laughs> Have a drink. That's that's never happened to me before. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Should I keep it in? I might keep it in. <laughs> As I was saying, so it's easier it's easy for a brand to look diverse it's easy for a brand to add a model that's a little bigger or a model with darker skin but actually looking at who i i notice who they do their send outs to as well so i notice who gets the pr parcels who gets to go to events so that's all part of diversity that i don't think people really consider so you just look at the surface the surface of like okay they look diverse actually when you when you think about it like wow like who are the people that they've had in events mm-hmm. and it's mostly most of the time it's not reflective of their feeds it's not reflective of the we really care about diversity messages that we've seen this year especially yeah and this is the thing isn't it like 2021 and beyond is really going to be the measure of progress versus this year because this year has been the presentation of diversity and inclusion but, you know, what we're going to start seeing next year and the years beyond, hopefully, is people actually moving into action and making good on their promises and, yeah. and their commitments, yeah. yeah. And I take it a step further even. Like I, if they have a physical store, I go to the store and I 
get a feel of not just the brand, but actually who are the people working there. Because mm. it's one thing to see the marketing, but I guess it's another to see their internal structures. Like, are you giving opportunity, equal opportunity to everyone? Mm-hmm. Are they working in your store? Are they living your brand kind of thing? Mm. This is really yeah. good advice. Um, so I want to talk to you about a label and I go into this question with an assumption that I'm going to get it wrong. So let's just get that. Okay. Out there. Um, it's about the label and the word fat. Mm-hmm. So from my, um, observations of following you, I get this sense that you've reclaimed that word as something yeah. that is quite empowering. Um, and you use it regularly to describe yourself. What I wanted to explore with you, with your permission, is who has permission to use that word and who doesn't? Like how how do we navigate that word? It's really tricky because there is no one sp- spokesperson for all fat people. <laughs> like just because I'm comfortable with it and I see it as a term that's just a descriptor, like it's, you know, doesn't go anything beyond that but other people who are existing in fat bodies don't feel the same way so it's really tricky so I think it comes down to like the individual and how comfortable they are with the word and how yeah because for me like I've kind of reclaimed that in a sense where a lot of that that uneasiness about the word fat is because I think for so long we have as as a society as you know as people we've associated that word with ugliness fat ugly fat unworthy fat disgusting whereas it's you know it's just a word and it's just it doesn't really like it doesn't connotate that where that's when people start feeling like oh like I can't you know I don't know how to use the word fat because maybe in my head I've always just thought fat isn't is an ugly word or that's mm. ugly whereas it's just it's just a word that you know, it just describes that I have fat in my body or that the meat we're eating has fat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wondered what advice you might have for, I was going to say any women, but it's anyone, any person who is struggling to develop a, a loving relationship with their body due to their size and perhaps how society perceives them. Yeah. What advice would you have in that falling in love process? The most incredible thing I have done for myself and in this body acceptance, especially in the online space, is to actually follow a lot of people who look like me. It sounds so simple, but I've only really started thinking about it this year. Actually, because yeah, for years I wasn't really following any fat style bloggers. I was following like a handful, but never really a community. I was not part of the community. So I wasn't seeing this daily. I wasn't seeing this when I'm scrolling through my feed. Like I think this year everyone has talked about, oh, we should normal like normal normalize is the buzzword of like 2020. Mm. I feel like. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> the new normal, yeah. Yeah. Like when you normalize it. So it's like when you actually day in, day out see people who look like you reflected it back at you on your screens when you're scrolling through and it doesn't even become like this big thing thing anymore it doesn't feel like oh like wow it's so diverse but it's just like it's just it's it's just I just see what I see on the streets back on my phone so that is the most radical thing I've done for myself is just follow all these people who look like me Mm. this is such good advice and like I love that you said it's quite kind of simple in a way but 
we have to take responsibility for what we're feeding ourselves in our social feeds. It's like so many people I unfollowed where I was like, why did you even start following this person? (laughs) Yeah. They make you feel like that. And the thing that triggered that for me is because I've got it, like I've got a specific style. So over the years I've gone from like pastel goth, but now I'm really into neutrals and like that minimalist look. And I follow, I used to follow a lot of pages, a lot of those inspo pages on Instagram. So it's like, so they repost a lot of creators from all over the world with one look. And there was never any fat person in there. There was never any, like, there were hardly any people of color. It's mostly like, you know, really beautiful, white, skinny girls in minimalist outfits. And I was just thinking, I was like, wow, like, there really is no space for that. There's no, no one actually embracing that there are fat people who loves wearing white dresses or beige suits and it's you just never see that on the screen on on instagram on these inspo pages and i realized that's because no one aspires to be fat no one aspires to this to look like this no so we still don't see fat bodies as again worthy or beautiful or or aspirational and what these are these pages are mostly like aspirational like you know it promotes a certain lifestyle a certain look a certain fashion or whatever but we're not part of that because no one aspires to be like us. Mm. And so that's powerful. Yeah. And it's just like realizing that and realizing, wow, this is actually why, like why I'm so, why am I not seeing fat people? And the, and the thing is that I for so long felt like maybe that just didn't really exist. Maybe there's only like 10 of us who loves the style. Cause even with fat fashion, like when you think, when you look at most stores, it's actually people equate fat, fashion plus size fashion into this like real bright vibrant like bold prints like you want to be seen you want to be in color you want to be in really loud like orange with pinks and you know like that's kind of I think there was no like in between it's either plus size fashion it's either all black or super bright but there was there's hardly anyone that's actually doing that middle ground of actually you know we like neutrals we we like wearing like light colors. And I also think that's because like growing up, like I would read in magazines. I literally have read this so many times that fat people shouldn't wear light colors, that we shouldn't wear mm. white. We shouldn't wear like things that emphasize our size. Like that's, that's just fashion advice from fashion magazines that I grew up in. So I think that's really stuck with me. But now that I've added more like people who enjoy my style, who exist in the same bodies that I exist in, and I realized that actually there's so many of us, there's, we're just not being seen. We're just not being con- even considered to be worthy of these like mood board pages. And that's it. There's a lot of that, that thing to unpack. It's what we're taught, what we see. So the more I actually see this daily, the more I see people who look like me just existing fabulously, wearing the clothes they love, that I love, and having that on my feed every morning, as well as seeing you know my family and friends post and just... In- just having that all ingrained has made such yes. a difference to me. Yeah, it's just this element of curation. Yeah. And not just seeing it as a big deal of, oh, look, they're like really fat and wearing what I really love and they look like me. It's more just like, actually, yeah, there's heaps of people like me who exist around the world. You just need to be seen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that? Well, does that play into part of the reason you launched Loudly Quietly? And could we talk a little bit about 
you yeah. know, you're, it's not really that new anymore, actually, which I don't know what you should call it new. It's, kind of, <laughs> it's still a bit new. It's funny because I like, I have so, what, how Loudly Quietly started was for years, I've been thinking about the next stage of my blog. So I've, I've had j-molina.com for about a good, like, seven years. And before that, I kid you not, I have about 50, like, domain names, like, registered <laughs> under me because I'm really, like, like I can't stick to just one name because I'm always coming up with like cool names. <laughs> like my friend was like, if you imagine like fifty different servers, like that's probably how it like looks like you're taking up too much <laughs> online. So that's why I registered just because I was like, okay, well at least this I won't get sick of it. Like I can't really change it because it's my name. So for years I was blogging on that platform, and it was only like maybe a year or two ago where I started getting like more events and I started getting more opportunities and it became it's coming to that point where I can't keep up with all of them so I've started like getting people to go to go on my behalf to these events to write reviews for me and it was getting really awkward to publish it on jessmelina.com yeah <laughs> it's like bye blah 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 <laughs> so it's like okay like how how could what does this next evolution of this platform how would that look like and the name loudly quietly actually came to me back in April 2019. I think it was April 27. I know the exact day because I remember that day. Very wow. Quickly. Yeah, but it happened because back in, so there was that March 15 Christchurch terror attacks that happened last year. And I really, I have a lot of, um, well, my audience part of the Muslim community. And I was, I'm an empathetic person and I was really feeling that pain. I was so, so heartbroken and just so, felt so helpless felt so like what can I do to help what can I actually like what's in my control what's something that's actually productive like where where can I help where can I redirect and channel this energy to and I get really emotional even thinking about it but what I found was a lot of that conversations started happening happening in my dms I was getting five paragraphs long messages from people. Sorry, I'm probably going to cry. So if my voice oh, is please, feel it's so fine. But I was getting people messaging me stories about their fear, stories about being triggered by the events because they remember growing up and feeling this, experiencing this racism. I was getting stories about people worried for their family, people just unsure how to process this and navigate. And we had a, we had a lot of those for a good couple of months. Like I, when the attacks happened, I remember the first thing I did, it sounds really simple, but because I also work in social media marketing, I put, posted on the, there's a page called New Zealand community managers page so it's every every mostly everyone in a big corporate i said hey can we all turn off our ads right now because we don't want to be we don't want to be that brand doing sponsored content and that's also what i did i had a few like sponsored content going and i messaged the brands right away hey just so you know i'm turning off everything indefinitely if you're not okay with this um i'll give you the product back i'll like compensate like, you know pay you for whatever but i'm not posting anything for the foreseeable future and I don't know when I'm turning my ads back on so that kind of like feeling so that was like within my control I think when I'm faced with a crisis I like to focus on what I can control and what I can where I can channel my energy to 
So those DMs to me became such a safe space for me to also talk about how I'm feeling, to talk about um, ways we could be helping, to talk about, you know, how do we process this? How do we help the community? Because ultimately it's, I'm not part of the Muslim community and, and I wouldn't necessarily feel everything they're feeling. And I just wanted to be able to do something, to be able to help. Mm. And then those conversations has unpacked a lot of um, topics around racism and microaggressions and how sometimes it's these little microaggressions that lead, like, how do we, how do we actually, how do we get to this point was kind of like where my thinking was at. Like, how did this, how did the world get so fucked up that these things happen? How can so much pain, like, engulf a community and how can this be caused by one person with such hatred and I was thinking like okay racism like what the root of racism is like how is this caused and all these microaggressions and how even like throughout my my life because I've experienced it as well and I like had this real stunning like realization that while there are people in this world who have never experienced racism there are people in this world who actually do not know that this exists because they've never felt it. Mm. And so with that, I was thinking, damn, like, how, how do we then, like, if racism is rampant in the community and it's often very silent, it's often very hidden because, you know, no one wants to, well, no one is really op- confident to be confident enough to be openly racist or to be openly, you know, forward about their beliefs that you know, a certain race or a certain colored skin of people like don't matter to them. So I was thinking about like, what actually can we do? And then I realized like for any change to happen, like we need to know when to be loud and when to be quiet. So for, so when to actually fight for what you believe in, when to actually say your opinion and when to shut the hell up and let the people who are experiencing it, take the lead, let them say their stories, let them take control of the narrative because it's not my story to tell. It's not my pain to tell. And so I started thinking about that. Wow. Like we really kind of like that whole balance and the whole, like you it really, you can't loudly can't, can't exist without quietly. They need to coexist together. So I was like on the train on my way to meet my best friend for lunch. And we were on this like little rooftop. It was really cute. And I got there and I was thinking about the name like all throughout my train ride. And I was thinking of one, uh, I was listening to one song on repeat. It was um, This Must Be The Place by Talking Heads. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, this must be the place. And I was like, totally quietly, like that flowed really well, like in my head, like the way it's spelled, the when you say it, it just feels real natural. It just feels like it's got a good like, energy to it. So got to lunch, I was like, breathless. I was like, oh my God, like I just had this thought. And so we were at lunch and I was like on my phone looking if I, if, if the domain was taken, are there any social accounts? Is this someone else's name? And I couldn't believe that loudlyquietly.com was not taken. I bought it right away, like straight away. I was like, okay. So rare. Yeah. That is so rare. <laughs> right? It's a good real estate, like having a name that's yeah. not taken. And all the Instagram, like Twitter, they were all like, not taken so I just bought it then and I was feeling really good about it and then I waited an actual year to actually do anything about it because I was like okay now that I know what I what I want it to look like I don't actually know how to get there 
and then like life happened and there was just a lot of there was a lot of things that happened that you know made me not actually have the time to focus and try and think of what this platform could evolve in so it was only this year where I was like right like this is this is what I want for it this is I feel really ready to take on this project and I feel like it's the right time so that's kind of like how it started mm. and, and the whole like this is I called it like from the side I just said this this must be the place just because that was the song I was listening to listening to but also because it felt like this was the place this was the place to have conversations about beauty that's substantial but also like fun and frivolous this was the place to explore fashion as a means of communicating who you are to the world but also as a means of you know feeling good about yourself because fashion has always had this reputation as this frivolous shallow thing whereas I know if I'm wearing a really great outfit I'm more empowered to actually take on the day with boldness and easiness and self-confidence and belief whereas you know if I'm not feeling good about myself if I'm uncomfortable I'm less likely to put myself out there for opportunities because I feel uncomfortable so it's those things that I wanted to talk about but also talk about like art and fashion and books and movies and music and food because I love food so yeah it just became the space for me the space for me to still do what I love with in terms of like blogging and writing but also take other people with me and give them the agency to tell their own stories a lot of the things mm-hmm. about beauty and about fashion. I'm letting other people do it. And I want to hear it straight from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think you've done an exquisite job. Thank you. Next year, it's definitely going to wrap up. I'm, like, I'm in that planning and dreaming stage at the moment. Mm, I love that phase. Yeah. <laughs> you know? oh, everything's possible, right? <laughs> this and it's day. just all so juicy. So I encourage everyone to check out, obviously, the website, follow. They look at you on Instagram, obviously. You've got it in your bio, but um, yes, but it's really beautiful. So um, I don't know. I never actually asked you if you even listened to the podcast, but I ask each of my guests a final question. Yes. Um, offline exists as an exploration of true self so who are we without the labels and we've spoken a lot about social media today who are we without the followings the brand the strategy all of that when you're sitting in your true self who are you and what comes up for you when I ask that question I'm a person who loves to tell stories and connect with the community that labels that's just what I do when I'm whether I'm having a coffee with a stranger or talking to my family while we cook dinner or just telling stories and there's that sense of community that's the thing mm. that makes me the happiest telling stories and having a community to tell the stories with and to share it with and to listen to as well that's beautiful and you have been so lovely to listen to today. Oh. Like I kind of had a vibe on what sort of conversation we would have and I really feel like, yeah, I mean, I don't ever have expectations, but um, but I've really enjoyed hearing your opinion and your point of view and you're just very articulate and you have a real understanding of what you believe in and I think that's probably, yeah, perhaps more rare than you think and know. Thank you. This is my, so this is my first ever podcast. Oh, Get Out, is it? Yeah, it is absolutely my first ever podcast it's because I I think as a writer like I tend to like 
limit myself to just be like, actually, I'm not articulate in conversations. I'm more articulate in writing. I'm more like, I could say, I can express myself better in writing. So I've, I've let that thinking like stop me into like exploring other ways to tell stories. So this has gotten me out of my comfort zone. So thank you. I'm so glad. Well, you cannot tell it's your first podcast interview <laughs> or conversation. Oh, this is not my first. That's why I was so excited and so nervous. And I was emailing you like, I don't know what to do. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes, the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously, and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them.